Greetings from Grand Rapids, Michigan. This, once again, is The Hammer, an umpire podcast, and I am your host, Kevin Weber. I hope everything is going great for you guys and that your seasons have gone wonderfully well so far and you're staying healthy and hydrated uh, as we approach the summer season and tournaments and all the guys working multiple games and days. And that can be rough, all right? So keep yourself healthy out there. Hydration is number one, but uh, also, you know, eat well and, and do the things you got to do so that you can work those games and get better and, you know, make a little bit of money too, right? So I've got a few segments for you today. I've got an umpire spotlight this week on a very special umpire to me personally, uh, Bruce Stone Jr. And uh, I've got a couple of uh, segments that pertain to emails I received from listeners out there, which I love. And you guys can always send me emails. Make sure you do that. Or send me a, a voicemail through the Anchor app. That's a great way to do it. I love to plug those things into the show if I can. Uh, but anyway, um, I had uh, uh, one of the segments will be on visibility issues. Uh, Scott Ordway uh, sent me an email dealing with those kind of situations. So I'll give you my opinions on that. And then last week, if you remember, I had uh, I mentioned the Mount Rushmore. Your your four umpires you think should be on the Mount Rushmore of umpiring. Well, Robert Fobian uh, sent me an email and he kind of talked about what he thought that should be in. And I'd like to share that with you and give you some of my opinions as well. And he had some other things to say. And then um, finally, near the end there, I'll, I'll talk about some issues with, um, well, not issues, but just my thoughts, I guess, on three- and four-man mechanics when um, umpires, particularly, i say high school umpires and, and under, um, maybe work three- or four-man after working two-man most of the time and some of the issues that I see with those kind of things. So that's what I got for you this week. Hopefully that it sounds interesting enough and you want to keep listening. So if that's the case, um Turn those radios up if you got it going in your car or make sure you can hear it just fine on your earbuds for another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. I got an email from one of my listeners, Scott Ordway who was a, a newer umpire. He was able to umpire some of his first games this year. And he had a couple of questions for me that I'm going to speak about and give you my opinion on. Um, I love getting emails from, from people, and I read them all. If you send me an email, and I do my very best to um, get to them in my next episode, uh, whenever that might be. And if you have some specific questions or something like that, then I certainly will... Um, do what I can with that. I love that. It gives me some, you know, some, some fodder for new material. And, um, I, I like it because it answers specific questions that somebody might have. And I think that's great. Okay. So Scott's email said, it was great to hear a new episode. Glad to have you back. Love uh, getting to listen. I was able to do my first games this season and I encountered some situations that I was hoping you could do a segment on in an upcoming episode. So I am Scott. Here we go. Um, First, uh, it's like uh, visibility situations, I guess. That's what he calls it. First thing. He says, I was behind the plate, and a batter had a ball that slowly trickled up the third base line and fouled territory. There was a decent amount of English on the ball, and it rolled fair eventually. I signaled fair, and batter runner uh, was thrown out at first. Both the head coach and the batter said that the ball went off his foot. I didn't see that happen. I think I may have been blocked out. And the batter didn't hobble. 
I checked with my partner and he said he didn't see the ball go off his foot and we went with what I had. I stayed with the alcohol. Uh, is there a particular way to handle this situation or this kind of situation? It caused a stir and the batter and coach were none too pleased. What, you know, big surprise there, right? <laughs> we're not worried about pleasing people. We're just trying to get calls right, right? Uh, yeah, so first, um, is when you are not working with someone that you've worked with before or, you know, if you have only worked with them a little bit, one of the things you should talk about in your pregame is that if uh, one of your base umpires, and usually we're working two men, so you just have one, but if he sees a ball hit off a batter um, and therefore be foul, um, and we're talking stuff in the box here more, right? If it's going to hit off him, um, you know, out in front of the plate or something like that, that that's really should be the plate man's call. I mean, I know technically uh, if you've got some wing umpires, they might be able to see it, but a guy from the middle of the field, is gonna, it's going to be hard to see that. Um, even if you're, I guess you're on the wing, but anyway, nonetheless, foul ball hits a guy off, uh, off the foot or something like that. If you're the base guy, you should just be coming up and, and helping to kill that, you know, yelling foul loudly, maybe a couple times, put your hands up and uh, there you go. If you don't see it or you don't see it clearly enough, which, you know, that is the case. I know I've been there too. I, I, I've been this year. Uh, then you don't call it, you know, then you, you leave it to your plate umpire to do that because, He's literally right on top of it. He's just a few feet away, right? So, um, therefore, when the coach comes out and says, hey, can you talk to your partner and see if he saw that? You would say, no, uh, we pre-came that. If, uh, if, if Scott you know, would have seen it, he would have killed it. So, obviously, he didn't. So, I'm not going to go over there and talk to him. And um, I did not see that happen. And the big rule of thumb here is um, you, know, you can't call what you don't see. If you didn't see it hit off of him, then you go with it. Might you have gotten blocked out and missed it? Yeah, that's possible. But obviously, it didn't really hit him that much, okay? Uh, we, we don't have instant replay. Um, at least 99.9% .9 of us don't out there, right? So you go with what you got. And um, if the kid's booking down the first baseline like it kind of sounds like he was doing, then obviously it didn't really hit him that much. I mean, it's like, oh, I'm out. Okay, now I don't like it. I got hit. It's a ball, ball, that kind of thing. Well, that's kind of garbage, right? So, yeah, it sounds like going with it was the right thing to do. But in the future, I would pregame that with all my partners. You know, maybe after a while, there might be a guy that you've worked with a whole bunch, and you know that. You guys just know that, hey, if there's a ball in the box, I'm not coming down and talk to you. All right? You know, you just know that. But it's always good to go over it. I mean, sometimes guys forget or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's the thing. Um, it's, it's tough sometimes. Sometimes you do get blocked out you know, on those kind of situations and you just do the best you can. And, uh, you sometimes, you know, you might, uh, think the guy maybe got hit. You didn't see it. And he's jumping around in the box, you know, like he got hit. Maybe he's trying to sell it, but you know, if he sells it well enough, I, I usually give it to him. If I think it might've been a foul ball off his foot, it's like, Oh, I didn't really see that so clearly, but it's like, Oh, he's like, ah, you know, and he's kind of hopping around or something like that. Well, then I'm going to kill it. You know, because um, the optics of it do matter uh, to a point. I mean, okay, if I if I saw the ball hitting on the, in the other batter's box and he's jumping around, I'm obviously not giving that. But if it's something that's like, oh, it's questionable, I don't know, I the catcher was kind of shifting over, I didn't really see it so clearly, then, you know, you just got to kind of, you know, have some good timing on it and see what's going on. And you can always kill it after the fact if you need to um, and do what you got to do. So that's a good question, Scott. Uh, Scott had a second part to that which was uh, when batters really crowd the plate, should I be scooting over to see the bat see better 
I, I assume you're scooting over more toward the middle. Um, that's what you're saying. Or staying put. I was not sure because I would be taken out of the slot, so that's why I'm thinking you're moving toward the middle, right? And don't want to take a foul ball off me more easily and be more exposed, which is definitely true because the more you're out of the slot and toward the middle or toward the other side of the plate, you are more likely to get drilled in the head, okay, or drilled in the face with a foul ball. So we don't want to do that. So um, that's tough sometimes, and I'm a shorter guy, so I do get blocked out sometimes. Especially, it's especially tough when you know a catcher sitting up, setting up inside, and a hitter is right on top of the plate, right? You know, his hands are almost, you know, on the inside corner or something like that. So um, you have to just you got to stay in the slot and try to stay up higher, okay? So you can see the outside and maybe get a view or adjust your head height a little bit maybe you can't get it exactly where you want but you don't want to go toward the middle and you don't want to go even farther toward the outside so you might have to go back a little or up a little or a little left you know i don't know whatever you got to do just don't go toward the middle um, but usually up is okay and you can still get a pretty good view you don't really want to go lower because then one you probably won't be able to see you, know, you might get blocked out by the catcher to see that outside corner um, so up and still in the slot try that when you can and for me, especially when I got a hitter really crowding the plate and he's standing right on top of it. I mean, I guess it's legal, you know, because his toes and feet and everything are inside the box and all that. But when he's doing that, if I get an inside pitch and that catcher's inside and it's right there, man, uh, benefit of the doubt goes to the pitcher and the catcher. I get that for a strike. It's like, for one thing, if you are standing on top of the plate, you like inside pitches. So, you know, I don't know why you're not swinging it if they throw it inside, right? And so if it's right there and the catcher barely has to move and it's there, I don't know. You know, sometimes it blocks you out and it might be a, an inch or so inside, inch or two, I don't know. It might be in that in the uh, in the gutter area, you know, that's between the plate and the batter's box. I'm going to get that, man, because uh, you're, you're crowding me and making it so I can't see. So you lost the benefit of the doubt. That's the way I look at it. Maybe other guys don't. I, I don't know. But to me, that's on the hitter. Because you're kind of crowding me on that. I guess you could blame the catcher too. But man, you know, they have a right to throw the ball inside on a guy doing that. So whatever. So those are two good questions there, Scott. Hopefully I answered your, your questions uh, pretty well. And maybe gave you a little bit of feedback that is, that's useful to you. And uh, I urge you to, you know, send me anything else you might be thinking about. And everybody else out there as well. So thank you uh, for the segment uh, that I guess I will entitle visibility situations. All right, there we go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, this last episode that I had, I was very lucky because I actually got two emails uh, concerning things in the episode. And if you recall, uh, in that episode, I talked about your umpire Mount Rushmore. Four guys that you would put on your Mount Rushmore of all-time great umpires. And um, I don't necessarily have my Mount Rushmore set, but um, 
I got a response uh, about his from Robert uh, Phobian, and uh, I'd like to share something from the email that he sent me. And of course, you know, he was very kind and was happy that I put out a new episode, so I appreciate that. Now I'll, I'll try to continue to do that. You know, when people send you uh, emails or something through Facebook or whatever it is, um, or you know, you can also, of course, go on the show site, you know, through through Anchor and uh, leave a voicemail and things like that as well. But anytime somebody does that, man, it just gets me going and it makes me want to do more episodes because I know somebody's listening, right? <laughs> I don't feel like I'm, you know, talking to myself out here or something like that. So it's great. It definitely, it, it makes me, it, uh, it incentivizes it all. It makes me want to do it more, all right? Because I feel like I'm doing something worthwhile for somebody. At least a few people. You know, even if it was only five guys, I guess that's worth it, right? Anyway, so my Ru- Mount Rushmore. This is what uh, uh, Robert said. He said, is Bill Clem, Hank O'Day, Cy Riggler, and Tommy Conley. Um, Clem. Why pick Clem? He said, West may have nipped him and total games worked, but Clem worked 18 World Series. It's unlikely someone would beat West's mark. Nobody, but nobody is going to ever work 18 World Series again. West, for all his celebrity, has worked six World Series. Clem has 251 ejections to West's 151. That would be an interesting study of eras, the game and the men themselves. Definitely for sure, right? O'Day, uh, the guy began his career when professional baseball used one umpire and worked two-man for the remainder of his career. Can you imagine working Major League Baseball with two-man? Anyway, uh, he had 10 World Series. Uh, Riggler, just 24 when he was promoted to the NL in 1906, worked 10 World Series. And Conley uh, set the standard that defies the stoic umpire that continues to this day with you know eight World Series. So I think those are all excellent choices, all Hall of Fame umpires that I've profiled in the past episodes. And if you are a new listener, um, feel free to go back and check that out. Um, You can find it. Usually I list who I'm covering um, for the umpire spotlight. And um, yeah, those are definitely right up there. Um, I guess there's there's one guy that I, I definitely think should be on the Mount Rushmore. And that is Doug Harvey. I, especially for a modern guy, I think that he stacks up as well as anybody. You know, like it says on his um, Hall of Fame plaque, um, he you know was a National League umpire, 1962 to 92, commanding arbiter whose unique combination of integrity, heart, and common sense earned universal praise. His knowledge of the rules and no-nonsense control of the game led players to refer to him as God. <laughs> Maintain authority without, uh, with a dignified style while remaining impartial. Popularized a technique of uh, uh, waiting one full second to make a call, uh, assuring himself time to visualize the play in his mind. Umpired 4,673 regular season games, nine National League League Championship Series, six All-Star Games, and five World Series, and served as a crew chief uh, in his in 18 of his 31 seasons. So definitely, um, 
you know, I, I know that the statistics, you know, of how many World Series and such that you worked, that that definitely is important. But I think for some of those dead ball era guys and guys, you know, pre-1950, there weren't as many umpires, okay? There weren't as many teams, and there weren't as many umpires, and there wasn't a four-man crew either. So, um, or a three-man crew for that matter for a lot of it. So there was only so many guys to choose from. So I think that in some ways they might have benefited a little bit. Nonetheless, Robert, your choices are very worthy and you make a great argument. And uh, there you go. So at this point, for sure, I've got Doug Harvey. I'd, li- I'd love to hear some other people's Mount Rushmore's. Um, feel free to get that to me in any way you'd like to. Email voicemail, whatever you want to do through the Anchor app. Let me know, and, you know, once I get a couple more maybe, then I'll let you know what I think. But you know one of mine is definitely Doug Harvey. So um, there was some other stuff that uh, Robert wrote in his email. He said, on a personal note, last year was my first year on a 90-foot field, and I worked 92 games from late June to uh, late October. Like the rest of the country, I had no scholastic season. So all those games were rec, travel, and men's league worked in COVID mechanics, which is balls and strikes from behind the mound, which is definitely uh, different, right? Asked a lot of veteran guys last year, not knowing when Scholastic was starting up again, when could I expect to get a varsity slot? Um, To a man, nearly all of them said two to three years would be considered quick for a new guy coming up. So this year he worked, of course, and was, I'm sure, working behind the plate and doing things a little more normally. And he said that he worked uh, his 47th game since March and was pleased to report that he worked two varsity games in the spring. So congrats, man. That's awesome. Hopefully they went well. Um, You know, sometimes you get things a little quicker. I I know I kind of moved along a little quicker getting some varsity games myself. Um, It it all depends on uh, who sees you and, of course, how well you're doing. I mean, obviously you've got to have some abilities and – and I know even this year, there's probably some guys that uh, I assigned some varsity games to that, um, you know, maybe weren't quite ready for it, but uh, they were the guy that was available and they needed to to work <laughs> for me to fill a game. So sometimes, you know, uh, opportunities uh, happen. I'm not saying that's the case for you, Robert. I have no idea. I know what it was for my situations. Um, you know, even for myself, for example, I mean, I, I got, you know, some completely unexpected D1 opportunities this year and it's probably because you know there's uh there's a few umpires that weren't working and people were down and this and that and I was the next guy on the list and I got a shot so hey man you take what you can get and you hope that you do well and then that proves you you can prove yourself and uh, get more opportunities in the future I mean that's that's the whole idea man so that's cool congrats hopefully things continue to move along for you and um, as always I really appreciate the email for my umpire spotlight this week it's one i've thought about doing for quite a long time uh, because it's a it's a spotlight of the most important and uh, biggest mentor in umpiring in the baseball world for me uh bruce doan jr um, who i've mentioned a few times here and there on the podcast and um this past uh several months bruce has been battling some health issues and you know cancer that he's you know fighting and overcoming and, and doing better. He's on uh, on the right path back right now. 
and um, it's been a struggle, but he's been doing it. And so I thought this would be a good time to um, mention him. He's probably the, um, well, he's the best known umpire man and supervisor and, you know, baseball man in West Michigan for sure. And throughout most of the state of Michigan as well, most people know him and, and a lot do throughout the Midwest, uh, you know, other parts of the country because there's a long time uh, collegiate umpire as well. So, uh, Bruce, um, he stepped away from the field a, a few years ago to, you know, just be a full-time assigner and, and do that. But, uh, for a long time, uh, he worked, uh, Big Ten, Mac, and, um, other levels of Division One baseball. Um, and of course, you know, he assigns, uh, junior college baseball in this area. So, you know, he certainly worked those games, uh, NAIA baseball in this area, the, the, Wolverine Hoosier Athletic Conference, and also the Crossroads League. Um, he assigns the Division II, uh, one of the big Division II conferences in this area, the uh, GLIAC, okay? And he also assigns uh, Division Three baseball in this area, particularly the MIAA, the Michigan, you know, uh, uh, Division Three NCAA conference, all right? Um, I am a co-assigner with him or assistant assigner uh, for baseball here for the, for the high school, uh, in West Michigan. Um, uh, we signed, you know, about 35 to 40 schools, uh, throughout the area. And also I help him assign, uh, through the Grand Rapids Umpire Alliance, as we call it, GRUA, all right, uh, which is, um, our big assigning group for travel, baseball, uh, tournaments, but also I, I sign my, you know, the, Travel teams have their little league. Well, not little. It's a very large league, actually. Uh, Battle, baseball, all travel league. That's what that stands for. I signed that through the Grua Arbiter platform. So um, I've learned how to be an assigner through Bruce. Um, Everything I know about assigning, I've learned through him. Um, And I I try to uh, emulate the the best qualities that he has as an assigner and, um, you know, try to develop my own, too. And and like all of us, you know, he, he knows his, um, his, uh, his, his strengths and he knows his weaknesses and, you know, we all are working on those kind of things too. So Bruce can be, um, what he would call a red ass, uh, very easily. And, uh, sometimes I need to be a red ass as he says. And, uh, and I am sometimes, but maybe sometimes I need to do a little bit more. Um, I try to find that balance and, uh, you know, I, I tried to, be very committed to whatever I'm assigning and uh, do the best job possible. And I've learned that through him Um, and learning the Arbiter platform and all those kind of things that we do. Um, It was tough this year when Bruce was out for me because I had to pick up a lot of slack, but that's the way it goes. You know, you know, somebody goes down, you're not going to complain about it. You just got to do what you got to do and help them out. And that was kind of my, I don't know, my gift to him with his struggling that I picked up the slack and he didn't have to worry about it. He wasn't getting emails about this change or that change or this umpire can't do this or this school wants to do that or whatever. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens every day. So I helped out with some of the collegiate stuff with the other, you know, big time um, assigners and I picked up all the high school slack and, um, and, and did all that. And so I'm very happy that he's on the road back and, and, and we can tag team it like we normally do and, and get things done. But uh, Bruce, you know, umpire for about 40 years at all levels. Um, he created He's created his own umpire camps. Well, his, his father, Bruce Stone uh, Sr., started the umpire camps here in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. 
and uh, Bruce uh, took those over and have taken them to new heights uh, since the passing of his dad several years ago. Um, and he does that, you know, to honor his dad as well, but also because he's just committed to helping and make umpires great, you know, for whatever level they want to work. Um, so back in his time, he uh, attended umpire school. He went to Kinnaman, Windlestead, and Brinkman. Bruce will always admit that he wasn't necessarily the greatest student always. Um, so though that part of everything maybe wasn't always his thing, but he could always umpire and handle things. So he didn't get a pro job. Um, you know, in the minor league system or something. But, man, he learned from some of the great umpires of that time uh, when he was attending it back in the, you know, I, I would assume probably more of the late 70s, I would think. That was more when he was doing that kind of stuff, so the guys of, of that era. And he umpired um, high school and and um, uh, high school ball in both Michigan and Georgia because, you know, he moved around a bit and uh, ended up, Working a lot of college baseball, worked, you know, Mid-American Conference Tournament, Big Ten Conference as well. Um, umpired in the JUCO NAIA, NAIA levels, worked the Frontier League for 17 years, worked four NAIA World Series, which is the greatest accomplishment as well. And, um, you know, just established himself as one of the the go-to guys for umpires in this area and, and helped a lot of guys that uh, some of you might know or maybe have seen like uh, that are from this area, like uh, like Mike Duffy or um, um, Mark Ewell, you know, guys that are College World Series umpires, you know, worked the College World Series. Well, he was a mentor to those guys too and, and helped them along as well. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. Uh, you know, sometimes there are circumstances that might be in your life that don't allow you to uh, reach a certain height um, or accomplishment in your umpiring career. Um, it doesn't mean that you couldn't do it, you know, like I think Bruce in his heyday, man, he, he could have worked any college world series as well as anybody, but that wasn't in the cards for him for whatever reason, but, uh, he's not afraid to help others, um, reach farther than what he has. It's kind of like, you know, a parent, that's what you should do, right? You know, um, you hopefully are successful in your life, but you want your kids to be more successful than you. So Bruce is not the kind of guy that's like going to begrudge somebody else that, you know, gets farther along the, the line than he does. He's going to do whatever he can to help them. And um, he's done that for all kinds of people. He's done that for me, you know. Um, not that I haven't reached the heights that Bruce, Bruce reached in his umpiring career, but, you know, he's helped me to move along the way I can and, and improve on things that I, I need to work on. Um and so there's hundreds and hundreds of guys he's done that for. Now, I'm sure all of you guys in your area, um, especially if you've been around for a while, you probably have a, a Bruce Stone kind of guy there that's done that. And for you newer guys, you need to find the Bruce Stone kind of guy in your area that can help you and help you get to whatever your goals are. And that could be, you know, you want to work the state finals. Uh, you want to work college baseball. You, you just want to work high school baseball and work varsity games or whatever it is you want to do. You want to, you know, work, you know, some high-level Little League stuff. I mean, sometimes you have to volunteer to do that stuff. But, man, I mean, you know, you work some of the uh, regional and, and uh, national tournaments there. That's that's great stuff if that's something that you want to do. So there's there's people out there that you got to find to do that. And Bruce Stone is one of those guys, and he's definitely the guy in this area of um, the country that does that. Anyway, um, I urge all of you to, you know, send me a message, send me an email, contact me. I'm always telling you to do that, I guess. And let me know who 
the Bruce Donas in your area and, and what they're about and, and how they help people. And I think everyone needs to aspire in their own way to, to be like those mentors that are out there and help help people. That's why I do this podcast. Um, that's why I, I, you know, I like to help people with uh, that I assign, you know, try to be better and reach their goals. Because, um, you know, we only have so many years we can do this. And I, I try to help everybody I can. And um, I, I guess I'm inspired to do that by people like Bruce Stone and others that have done that. So I like hearing about those kind of guys and uh, what they do and the special things that they do and the special relationships that they uh, develop with umpires all over the place. Um, and those are things, especially like if you get a chance to umpire with those guys and, you know, sometimes, you know, umpiring a series or just sometimes just a particular game is like a, it's like a battle, man. And uh, if you share that experience with certain guys, um, then you definitely have those bonds and connections that uh, that others don't quite understand. We all know that. I'm sure that goes with you know any sport that you can officiate. But baseball has a special thing about that. And so I'd like to hear about that. So let me know about that in the future. And uh, I'd like to talk about it on some future episodes. Well, it's that time of year again when it's conference tournament time. Um, it you know it's past that time for colleges, and now we're getting into the College World Series. But for high school sports and high school baseball in particular, I'm talking about for most of the country, they're they're doing their um, state tournament games, and a lot of times these end up being three man and four man crews. Now most high schools, of course, work two-man systems throughout most of the season and if you get thrown into one of those situations that's very exciting uh, but you maybe are not as familiar with that situation so um, this year I um, was not eligible to work the state finals because I worked it a couple years ago they have like a three-year period where you can't get the finals semifinals and finals so um, I worked like you know districts and regionals and had a quarterfinal where I had the plate, and the quarterfinal was four-man. So, you know, I was reviewing my four-man mechanics quite a bit because I'm planning on going to uh, camp in late July uh, down in Indianapolis, and uh, I really need to know what I'm doing. Um, I've worked four-man on, you know, at least a dozen or more occasions over the last several years. But, you know, you don't do it very often, and it's usually just a few games here and there. And of course, when you look at four-man mechanics manuals like the uh, the, the college manual that they send us every year, um, it's like, well, a thorough understanding of three-man will help you work four-man. And I used to read that. I'm like, well, you know, that's probably true. <laughs> but uh, luckily this past year, I was able to work quite a bit of three-man uh, for college baseball. And uh, it's, it is very true, man. And because when uh, one of your umpires goes out, it really is three-man. You're doing those same rotations. So there's there's no doubt that that is definitely true. So things I've noticed for, uh, I'm talking like high school, uh, more high school umpires, that they have issues with with four-man. And, and some of these could probably apply to three-man as well. Um, you know, it's really important to pause, read, and react all the time. But you can really get away with that in two-man not doing it so much. If you're an A and there's any ball hit at the right field that it seems like trouble or on the line, you can just go right away. All right? 
It doesn't matter if that right fielder is turning to his left or he's turning to his right. If it looks like trouble and it might be over his head, man, you can go out, man. If it's a, a screamer that's going to be at his feet, you can go out. Um, obviously, one down the line, no problem. Just go out. Uh, whereas if you're working three or four man and he turns to his right towards center field, you've got to read your partner. So this is like the pause, read, and react. It's not just that, reading the fly ball, that I notice with with high school guys. It's looking at somebody else that you've got to react to. So you, you stop and you read the fly ball and the fielder in particular. And then you look at your third base umpire if it's three man or your third you know, or your second base umpire if it's you're working two man. This is if you're U1, right? And then you see what they're doing and then you go because you always have a little more time than what you think, <laughs> okay? Um, you, you're... The, the problem, I think, with a lot of guys that don't work a lot of that is they feel like, okay, I'm not real 100% sure, so I want to make a decision and go and do it, and I don't want to be late doing it, and I want to get there and make it happen, right? And so you rush. And, um, you know, this, as I always say on here, it always comes back to timing. Your timing's off because you're going too fast, all right? So if you're working three or four men or you get the opportunity this year or maybe in the summer, maybe there's some kind of um, summer... Uh, tournament thing that's doing three man or something same thing you got to read the other guy see what he's doing so if you're u1 in particular right and you know uh, you're in three man and you see your u3 go out then you know you got to be coming over you got to read him you got to see what he's doing on his fly ball you know and, and react to those things and of course this is the same for um four man but there's just a little bit less of that right so for michigan here we have the choice with our wing or our wing umpires, but also for the second base umpire, that if they want to, they can go out on every fly ball, um, even routine ones, right? So that uh, it takes out the pause, read, react. It's fine. Um, Brent Rice runs our umpires here, and it's probably a very good thing. It's not what they want in college baseball. They want people pause, read, react. If you can take the routine fly ball from your spot and not have to go out, that's what you're supposed to do whether you're working second base, first, third, whatever. Um, and, of course, you know, with guys going out, there, there might be a little bit more um, movement for the home plate umpire with nobody on base, you know, because if U3 goes out or U2 goes out and U3 leaves, um, you know, he's coming up there. If, uh, you know, U1's going out on every routine fly ball or right field or something, then U1 should, he should be kind of coming up anyway, but he's got to come up and make sure he's ready for any plays back in the first base and the touch and all that kind of good stuff right so i guess that's the biggest thing i see and in, in times when i've worked it with other guys that are not so sound on these mechanics um they just start reverting back to two-man mechanics I've, i had that one time when i was working some state finals games a couple years ago where i'm coming in to cover second base i was working third base and then my u1 is in there too it kind of meet me and it's like Dude, what are you doing? <laughs> you should be covering the plate here, right? Or ready to cover it. <laughs> um, so those kind of things. Um, that's what I see. So if you get those opportunities, obviously study up your mechanics. That's great. Of course, the mechanics manual can't have everything. And you've got to process things through your your head. Of, you know, the typical situations. Like, all right, if I'm standing here and there's a fly ball over here, what am I going to do? fly ball over there what am i gonna do you know and that's why you got to study all the other 
spots too. Maybe all you're doing is working first base that game. Well, you know, you should know what the plate guy should be doing. You should know what your U3 or U2 should be doing or whatever. Um, so that in case there's a problem, you can be like, hey, you got second, you got second. You can be yelling something, whatever you got to do, right? And rotate, rotate, or reverse rotation, or whatever the heck you, you have to make happen. Um, my quarterfinal game went fine. I mean, it was kind of a one-sided game as far as score. And uh, we didn't, well, we had one rotation we could have had later that we, um, that was kind of messed up by my wing guys. But, um, you know, no plays were blown or anything. We had all the bases covered and all that kind of stuff. So it went fine. Just didn't look as pretty as it could have looked, I guess. That's the thing you want. You know, those things that really just umpires notice. So I've been trying to study my format as much as I can. I'm watching Major League games, though sometimes they do things a little quirky there, so that's not always the best thing. Uh, but still, you know, they're they're really good, but they, they can kind of use some mechanics that we aren't really allowed to use for NCAA. And uh, I'm watching a lot of college baseball because they're trying to do things correctly, and I'll be very interested to watch this College World Series. I was uh, lucky enough to go down to Notre Dame and watch uh, one of the uh, regional games. Uh, UConn played Central Michigan University, and um, it was quite a score fest. A bunch of home runs, and a really hot day, about 90 degrees on the turf there. And those umpires, man, they had to bring them water about every half inning. But anyway, it was very interesting to watch the four men there and how guys were working that. And then uh, this weekend, hopefully, uh, tomorrow, I plan to go down to the state finals and watch some baseball there because they're working four men. And sometimes it is very interesting to see guys working for men that don't really always know exactly what they're doing because uh, you learn from that, man. You definitely learn from that. It's like going to a camp and you're watching some games in between when you're doing stuff. You know, maybe you're working in uh, the cage or maybe it's not your turn to be out on the field yet. So you're just kind of watching what guys are doing and seeing who's doing things well and maybe not as well because uh, you definitely learn from that. It's, you know, we always like it better when somebody else makes a mistake and, uh, we weren't the one making it, and we can learn from it. So that's a good thing. Um, hopefully it's nothing too catastrophic, right? We don't want our guys to be screwing up out there, but stuff happens, right? So those are some things I noticed as far as like, you know, it, it, you know, we don't work three-man here. Um, I, I've talked about that. I mean, I think for a lot of guys, three-man can be more complicated. It is more umpiring. It's more running. It's, you know, I think it's more fun in some ways. It looks good i really love the way three-man rotations look i think they look the best out of any kind of rotations that there is um four man man you're just stuck around your base a lot more often uh, which is fine man it's easier to get things covered and i guess sometimes if you got bad knees like me maybe that's good but <laughs> you know my, <laughs> they're, they're good enough to get there but uh so that's what i have so I, i'd be very interested to know what uh, experiences people have had with three and four man maybe this year or in the past and what your thoughts are uh, for people transitioning to that um, after working two-man most of the time and um, some the good and the bad and the ugly that you've experienced with those uh, multi-umpire systems. Well, that's it. Another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. I really appreciate you sticking this out with me all the way to the end. And I hope that uh, you enjoyed it and maybe got to think a little bit more about umpiring and what you can do to improve and and uh, the people in your life that have been important 
uh, to the successes that you've had so far and hopefully the successes that you will have in the future. Uh, like I say, I'm, I'm shooting for every two, three weeks here uh, to try to get an episode out. Um, and when I first started doing this, I'd do it like every week. And that, that got a little bit overwhelming at times, but uh, I think I can manage that. And if I uh, have some material that I feel like I need to put out there quicker, then, you know, I might do it a little bit uh, quicker than, than a couple weeks or so. So we'll see how it goes. But I think uh, two or three weeks is pretty good, pretty good amount of time between episodes. And, and I think that I can maintain my listeners out there. So last episode was received quite well. I got quite a few listens on it, which I appreciate. And uh, I always like getting that feedback. I'm always talking about that. So send me some ideas, some things you'd like me to talk about or touch on, and I'll do what I can with it. Uh, I'm not saying I know all the answers because I certainly don't, and I'm always learning myself. Uh, but I'm willing to share what I think and uh, the things I've been taught. That's a lot of things that I, I'm sharing is things I've been taught and, uh, and the experiences that I've had along the way. So until next time, keep calling strikes.